0: Hello and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 348 with Diana Cander. Diana is talking about how curiosity makes all the difference in learning, growing, developing, staying relevant, innovating. So many good benefits. So you'll learn one, why uncovering blind spots is such a rapid path to progress. Two, four key questions to expand your curiosity. And three, the importance of failure metrics. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced here, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F348. Now here's Diana's story. Diana Kander is a sought after keynote speaker who has trained many executives in Fortune 1000 companies to be more innovative and to inspire employees to think more like entrepreneurs. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller, The All-In Startup, a novel outlining lessons for launching a successful business. The book has been used in over 70 colleges to teach innovation and entrepreneurship. And she's also the author of The Curiosity Muscle. Diana lives in Kansas City, Missouri, with her high school sweetheart and husband, Jason, and their awesome son, True. Thanks to Diana for spending some time with us. And thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And now here is Diana. Diana, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: I'm pretty excited to be here. Any chance to become more awesome is a great thing.
0: (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. Well, I understand you're doing some work in becoming awesome at doing a handstand. What's the backstory here?
1: That's right. Well, actually the backstory is writing the book that we're going to talk about today, but I learned that there's a simple process to allow yourself to do pretty much anything you can set your mind to. And once I accomplished one task of doing a plank where you're like on your tippy toes and your elbows, uh, as part of writing the book, I did a plank for 11 and a half minutes. It was like a crazy thing for me. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do more than a minute and a half before I started. And so then once you accomplish like one impossible feat, I was like, what else can I do? <laughs> you know, what's the what's the next most difficult thing I can think of? And for me, that was doing a handstand. So my 2018 goal has been to do, I, I'm like a very uncoordinated person. <laughs> I, I've fallen just from sitting before. I have trouble just walking. So for me, being able to find inner strength and, and center like that, it uh, was a, just a very exciting opportunity. So that's what I'm doing in 2018.
0: Yeah. That's fascinating. Well, why don't we start right there? What is the process (laughs) by which you can learn to do anything?
1: So I learned in writing uh, my second book that if you want better results, you just have to ask better questions. And the way that most people approach a task or a goal is they're going to try their best and hope for the best. And that is not how you get exceptional results. That's not how you get to a 10 minute plank. That's never going to happen if you just Decide that you're going to practice planking every day, even if you have the habit down, you're not implementing the right practice. And so, what are the questions that you can ask in order to implement the right questions? And what's funny is I didn't write a personal development book. I wrote a book on how big corporations can stay in business once they're successful. But all of the lessons that apply to large organizations trying to become more curious and understand their customers and, and reach their own large goals, they're just as applicable for individuals trying to reach. Crazy goals like doing a ten minute plank or a press handstand, which is what I'm trying to do.
0: Yes. Okay. So, if you want better results, ask better questions. And, and so, the book is called the Curiosity Muscle, right? <laughs> Just to, right. to orient everybody. And and, and so, uh, let's continue this thread for a bit. So, uh, what would be some examples of of lame questions, and and what are, are great questions, and and how are you upgrading the questions you're asking in the instance of the plank or the handstand?
1: Sure. So. Like I said, most people start out, they're going to they're gonna do their best and hope for the best. And the very first and most important question you can ask is, what are my blind spots? What do I not know about what I'm doing that I should be doing? And for my planks, it was going to people who are professional plankers, <laughs> done world-breaking uh, planks, which, do you know what the world record for planking is?
0: I, I is, sure don't. What is it?
1: it's eight hours and 10 minutes.
0: Oh, <laughs> it sounds! just
1: crazy, right? And it makes 10 minutes sounds like nothing. And so what are those people doing that I'm not doing? And what I learned from understanding their routine and their practice was that there are certain muscle groups involved in holding a plank that I didn't know had anything to do with it. So like your glutes are very involved in holding a plank. they actually super important, but that didn't make any sense to me. Your shoulders are a very important muscle group. And so in addition to practicing planks, I started working out these specific muscle groups and it doubled my time without even really doing anything different. And then understanding other blind spots that I had, like things that I didn't know about when I was trying to hold a plank of what these people were doing that I didn't even know about. That was a very important question. So that's question number one.
0: Okay. So what do I not know that I should know?
1: Yeah. Like most people think of their blind spots as their weaknesses. Like, oh, I know I should be doing this better at work. Like, I know I'm not good at this, but that's not what a blind spot is. A blind spot is something that you think you're already doing well, that you're actually doing terribly. And all of us have blind spots in our professional practice. It's just that we don't have the guts to, to get the feedback, to, to find out what those things that we're doing that are actually sabotaging our professional growth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, It's interesting. You mentioned guts and that's what it takes to, to get that. But in another way, it sounds like it'd be more fun to learn some things that you had no idea than it is to just beat yourself up about not doing the things you know that you should be doing.
1: <laughs> well, the thing about blind spots is finding out about them on a, pro- like, it's super fun when you're planking and you're like, Oh, that's interesting. But when it comes to your professional skills and what you're doing, that it's frustrating your customers, it is not fun. It actually is like quite painful and embarrassing, right? Because you're going to people and you're saying, what is it that I'm doing in my business that is unsatisfactory? That actually I thought I was doing well, but isn't good enough? Or what is it that's frustrating you about whatever it is that I'm doing? And and hearing those uh, responses can be quite crippling. In fact, as I was writing the book, one example of trying to get this, understand your blind spots is, I sent out a copy of the book to some close friends who I could trust to be honest with me. And the email I wrote to them was, you know, there will be a time when this book is published and I need you to give me positive feedback on it. But this is not that time. Like your gift of friendship to me right now would be to tell me all the parts that don't make sense, that are confusing, that you you don't like these characters, you don't like the storyline, you don't understand the point I was making, and tell me all of those things. And then I went around town just collecting like one insult after another. And I had this one really great friend who wrote me this email that while I was reading it, I like subconsciously started getting into the fetal position because it, it hurt so bad the feedback that I was getting. But every single one of those feedback sessions made the book a much, much better product in what it is today.
0: Yeah. So. All right. Well, well, maybe we should get oriented to to the big picture here. Sure. And we'll, we'll pursue some more of these these practices that are just so fascinating they get me hooked in. So, what's the the main point behind the curiosity muscle?
1: Sure. Uh, point is that our success sabotages our future growth. We get very comfortable. Things start working. We feel like we're getting control of something, and we know what we're doing. So now we just need to become more efficient at it. And once we let that success kind of go into our ego and grow our ego, we, we stop being curious. Like success is the main thing that kills curiosity. And once you lose curiosity, you lose that relationship with your customers and you start losing relevance because now, even though you're still innovating and you're growing, you're not doing it in the right direction. You're not creating value for your customers. You're still doing things. You're creating output in a very efficient way, but it's not what they want because you're no longer curious about what they want because you've been so successful. You think, you know what they want better than they do.
0: Okay. And so if we're no longer curious about, we're still doing things. Ooh, what's, what's fueling our, our doing that instead of curiosity. So I guess curiosity was getting us there before you were, you were fascinated. What do they need? What do they want? How could I be of great service to them? How could I crush it for them? And then you're now what's fueling the, the next stuff. Think about
1: getting to the peak of a mountaintop and, What's feeling you at the top of the mountaintop is like the fear of falling down, <laughs> the need to keep achieving and to keep growing. Like for a lot of organizations, they become focused on quarterly results or just growth for the sake of growth. And those are the kinds of things that sabotage. Real curiosity in customers.
0: Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it's sort of like you, and you've got something to lose at that point. When you're at the top of the mountain, you could lose your life. Or if you're a huge business, you could get sued you know, for millions of dollars. So let's put in all kinds of processes and rules and, and requirements to, to mitigate risk and, and whatnot. Or you could have your, your stock price plummet because you, you didn't hit your quarterly earnings guidance. So you've got all these fears that are, that are fueling you instead of the curiosity.
1: Sure. Well, every dollar you make is a reason not to change anything, right? So as long as you keep making money, you're like, let's just keep this gravy train going. And that's where the danger is. You're not constantly looking to disrupt yourself or the next thing that customers want and their wants and needs are constantly and evolving and they're going to evolve away from you and you won't recognize it because you don't have that kind of relationship that you once did.
0: Yeah. Understood. Well, well, so then what's sort of the antidote? How do we keep curiosity alive and flowing and, 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 getting the good questions going?
1: Sure. So think about curiosity, like the best definition I've ever heard of it is the space between what you currently know and what you want to know. Okay. So mm-hmm. when you first start out in a business, that space is rather large, but then once you become successful, there's like nothing there. You just walk around all day being like, I know everything I need to know. Like I'm pretty awesome. And The secret to becoming curious is to increase that space between those two things, right? Between what you know and what it is that you want to know. And so, my co-author Andy From and I came up with these four questions that you need to master in order to increase the size of that space. So, the questions are: What are your blind spots? Do they relate to your business and the things that you're creating? Are you spending your time on the right things? What can you experiment? Like, I know you've been very careful deciding what you're going to spend your time on, but how do you know if you were wrong in that decision? And number four is how can you engage others to help you get to your goals? Because a lot of people, once they become really successful, really concentrate decision making power at the very, very top, and they stop engaging their employees, their customers in helping them solve big problems or come up with new ideas.
0: Okay. You know, the third one, you said you're experimenting and you're also assessing whether or not you're right. Can you expand on Mm -hmm. that a little
1: bit? Sure. So almost every company has a process to decide whether they're going to take on a new initiative, right? They have some kind of a meeting, they have some kind of a business case that, that they write up. And then what happens once they approve the project is they never revisit it again. Like unless it's a horrible failure that just Explodes. Nobody's ever going to stop it. Like it could be a mediocre project that's just siphoning resources away from the company, but there's never a process to revisit approved projects six months after they've started or a year after they're started to figure out if you were right in making that initial decision. We just assume that everything we decide is going to work out. And as you know, like the vast majority of the things we decide to do are not the right things. So, what's the process that you can implement in your business and in your personal life to decide? Like this thing I decided to do was actually not the right thing, even though I I was acting on the best information that I had at the time. So there are two questions that we kind of introduce as part of this, which is how will I know if I'm wrong and when will I know? So, just to give you like a super silly example, there's all kinds of things you can try to do to improve your plank time. In fact, if you Google it, there's like over three and a half million results on Google of what you can do. So, let's say you choose very carefully which of the things you're going to try. You can't try them all, but you pick which one you're going to try like the first one you're going to try. Well, how do you know if that's the right thing to do? And when will you know if it's not the right thing to do? So for me, I like to create as many objective metrics in the things that I try. So for me, I said, you know, I'm going to give it 2 weeks every time I I implement a new process and if my time doesn't go up by 30 seconds over a 2 week period, then I'm going to try the next thing. But in most businesses, they never implement those kinds of gaps. They don't have any, like, have success metrics. They say, these are all the things that we're going to accomplish. And it usually takes, like, years to accomplish the success metrics. But they never think about failure metrics, which are much shorter in time span. Like, you will know much sooner if something's not going to work than if it is going to work. So what are those failure metrics? And are you assessing them for the projects that you're selecting to choose just spend your time and your resources on. And the most successful companies, the ones that never peak, they have a really great process to kill things that just aren't working.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I really dig that. And, and it reminded me of, of some you know, lean startup stuff with regard to the experiments and, and, and what you're seeing there, as well as uh, I'm just fascinated by the Nielsen's consumer product research process Associated with oh, we're just going to benchmark the the survey responses about your potential brand of pasta sauce against the hundreds of other brands of pasta sauce that have you know we've studied before to assess if you're if it's good enough to be unlikely to fail. Which which just fascinates me that that exists and is done in the world. So so can you share with us some of the uh, the best examples or or, or quick ways to, to get, uh, an, an early, uh, failure assessment on something you're trying.
1: Sure. Well, I can give you some examples of some of my favorite company that is really, really good at this kind of an assessment is Amazon. Mm-hmm. And whenever people talk about Amazon, they talk about all of the incredible things that they've invented. And now they're doing like one day delivery, which is just unbelievable. They're just constantly coming up with ways to Wow you, and that's part of what's fueling its growth, but what nobody ever talks about are are so many projects that they've lost lots and lots of money on, and things that never worked out, like the fire phone, yeah, which was the phone that they introduced was supposed to be like the phone to end all phones. they lost one hundred and seventy five million dollars on it, and a few months after it came out, they couldn't sell them for ninety nine cents at at most like that's crazy and what nobody really talks about is Amazon Destinations, which was their travel booking website that they created and then shut down six months later. Like They put a lot of resources into making it the place where you book your travel, and then within six months knew that it wasn't going to work. Nobody ever talks about Amazon Local, which was their hub for local deals. It was like a Groupon uh, that they started in 2011 and then shut down three years later. Nobody ever talks about Amazon Wallet, which was a way for you to put all of your credit cards into one place that they shut down six months after launching it. They had Amazon local, which was like a way for you, not a square or a PayPal triangle, but a rectangle that you could use to accept payments. They had Amazon music importer, which was a way for you to house all of your music online and Amazon test drive, which was a way for you to try all of these games before you actually committed to buying them. I mean, I can keep going on and on and they on. don't
0: have the statistically improbable phrases anymore on the books. What do you mean? Well, that used to be one of the, the ways you could kind of uh, check out kind of what's, what's unique or, or, or fresh or the content as a means of searching for and identifying book content called the statistically improbable phrases or SIPs. And uh, I was a dork for the data. I thought that was like the coolest thing as a means of sort of seeing books that are similar to other books. Uh-huh. Uh, based upon their overlap there. But I guess most people don't care <laughs> about that <laughs> level of stuff. And, and so they, they've killed it.
1: Well, I think I'm probably happy that that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Just uh, for, my own, for my own books. But, you know, nobody talks about all of these things that they had and then shut down. And what they think is that Jeff Bezos is some kind of genius who comes up with these big ideas and then everything that he says works out, but he's not a genius. He's a human being, just like all of us. And a lot of his ideas and the ideas of people working at the company don't work out. What they have that most companies don't have is a process to kill projects when they're not working. And most organizations, over 80% of public organizations have no process to revisit projects like on a regular basis after they approve a business case.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like for the most part, it's just like a new executive comes in and it's like, all right, we're evaluating everything. Oh, and all these things should, should no longer be happening as That's opposed right. to sort of like but a regular ongoing basis. For years. Yeah,
1: That's right. <laughs> for years and years. That's right.
0: Totally. Well, so so that's cool. So, could you give us a, maybe a, a window into what such a process might look like in terms of, hey, at at X months, uh, you know, ahead of trying out this thing, we're going to look at you know Y metric, and it needs to be at least a Z value, or or how does that unfold in real life?
1: Sure, sure. I'll give you uh, one of my favorite examples, which was this company that it was an online mortgage lender, and they. Had this marketing program where they were gonna, they were a very large successful mortgage lender and they their process was you know people express interest in a loan then they send them paperwork then those people send paperwork back and it opens a file and so on and so forth until they get a house and sign all their paperwork so the marketing department was like you know what we should do we're going to send everybody who expresses interest in a loan like a nice gift in order to move them down the funnel right like we want them to send paperwork back to us so let's do something nice for them. And so what they sent them was this really nice, delicious, beautiful cupcake. And it was uh, like a cup, $25 cupcake, mm-hmm. all, all said and done, like very delicious in a glass jar. It had sprinkles with the company logo on it, like genius, right? And the initial results of sending out all of these cupcakes were people taking photos with them, posting them on social media. They were like, this is the coolest company ever. And so the marketing department, all of the evidence they were getting back was, this feels like it's going really, really well. And for most organizations, what we measure is like, how does it feel? We're going to we're gonna spend this much money on marketing efforts. Like, do we feel like it's working? How many impressions did we get? Like, that's what they're testing. But that's not really how you create value in an organization. And so it came time to like around bonus time. And the marketing team went to the, the data department and was like, hey, can you help us quantify just how much money we're making for the organization? Like, we think that more people are sending in their paperwork, but we're not quite sure. So, the data team says, okay, well, tell me the names of the people who got the cupcake and the people who didn't get the cupcake so we can compare. And they were like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, this is such a genius idea. Yeah, we sent out 100,000 cupcakes. Okay. So, if you're doing the math, like a lot of cupcakes. And the data team is like, we're going to have to send out a couple thousand more because we can't tell you whether the experiment was successful or not. And again, this is something that almost every company does and that they create programs that it's impossible to measure whether it's working or not, right? Because everybody gets it, so it's just based on how it feels. Mm-hmm. So the data team sends out a couple thousand, like, some people get them, some people don't, and they start comparing the results. And what they learn is the people who get the cupcakes actually send in their paperwork in much higher numbers, which is fantastic. But the data folks kept watching what happened to those people, and the ones that got the cupcakes send in their paperwork in much higher numbers, but actually closed their loans in lower numbers. and. In total, there was actually no difference between uh, in their total closes between whether they got a cupcake or not, right? So people who got a cupcake, they felt bad that they got this really really nice expensive delicious thing, so they were going to do something, and that something was sending the paperwork even though they weren't planning on taking out a loan, and like it wasn't just the money that the company spent on the cupcakes, but every time somebody sent in the file, you know case was open, somebody manually entered all that information. Then this loan officer was assigned and that loan officer was researching the neighborhood, the school district, all that stuff. And so this company was spending millions of dollars on a project that felt really, really good, but was actually siphoning resources away from the company. And so this is a perfect example of how you should also be measuring failure metrics. So okay, we're going to implement this new initiative that's going to help our customers. Great. How would we know if it's not working? And when would we know? So those are two important questions that you would add to any business case process. And then revisit, you know, every time if you have one of those meetings on a quarterly basis or a monthly basis, you just revisit projects that you've approved before and look at the failure metrics to see how they're going.
0: I love that. So we talked about the questions, we talked about Process we talked about thinking about it differently and ensuring that you're ongoingly revisiting stuff and and seeing if it needs to get killed so I'd love to kind of revisit the point associated with just the being able to stomach it you know what what's what's coming back. Do you have any pro tips on, on how you develop that uh, resilience or or thick skin or or whatever you'd call it so that you can go there?
1: So there's nothing I can say that's going to make it hurt any worse. Like I literally teach on this stuff and write on it and it still hurts me a lot. Like I still like getting compliments every time I speak, (laughs) but I know that I'm not going to get any better if I don't hear the do betters or the blind spots. So I try to think about that kind of feedback like weightlifting. So if you go to the gym and you pick up a set of one-pound weights and you do all of your exercises with those one-pound weights, you're going to feel really good, like zero strain, zero sweat, right? I mean, yeah. you're not going to feel anything and you're not going to get any stronger, right? If you want to get stronger, what you need to do is pick up weights that hurt your body to pick up eventually. So. I try to think about that kind of feedback and those kinds of blind spots that I'm learning about as things that actually make me stronger. So, even though they still hurt in my mind, I'm like, I'm she's getting stronger, like, you know, some kind of a comic book character in your brain. That's how you improve. Like, the worst thing that somebody could tell you is you're doing fine because that. That is not a way for you to improve or change anything. You know, the biggest kindness that somebody can offer is to say, you know, that there's, there's something that you're not aware of that's sabotaging everything that you're doing. So I am a professional speaker. I speak on innovation and curiosity. And I had a, a good friend who was a stand-up comedian, and I wanted uh, to, to add some jokes to my routine. I thought it would be really funny, so I had her watch. My speech, and I thought she'd help me come up with some stuff. And she was writing the whole time. And when I got done, she puts her pen down and she was like, Hey, you're really bad at breathing. And Hmm. I was like, What? She's like, Yeah, you are horrible at it. And I was like, I don't know. I've been breathing for a pretty long period of time and I feel like I'm doing it okay. And she's like, Do you ever lose your voice after giving a speech? And I said, Almost every time. But I think that's a professional speaker thing. She's like, no, it's not. It's a thing for people who don't know how to breathe. She goes, do you ever get lightheaded when you're on stage? And I said, yeah, like when I'm giving a talk for an hour, I think I'm going to pass out up there. She's like, so you don't know how to breathe. I was like, wow. Like to me, that was a huge blind spot, something I never knew about. And I said, okay, let's keep talking about this. But can you give me some more, some jokes? Like what else did you write down? And she's like, is that how you walk onto the stage? Because you walk very apologetic. I was like, how do you, how do you walk apologetic? That seems really weird. And She goes, what's that weird thing you do with your eyes when you're talking? I couldn't even hear what you were saying. Your eyes were freaking me out so much. So I walked into the room thinking that I wanted some jokes, just like all of us in our life are like, here's what I think I need to improve. And there was this whole other category of very serious faults that I had in my presentation style, in my delivery style, that were actually sabotaging my professional speaking career. And it was learning about those blind spots made me 10 times better than any jokes that I could have introduced into the, into the talk. And that's the power of getting really curious to elevate your game to, to a whole new level.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. And, and I want to get your take on how you frame and prime the people you're asking these questions of. You mentioned the email and how, hey, being a friend to me is really telling me what's wrong with this book and how it's uh, troubling or doesn't make sense in certain places. So that was a handy way you did it there. Uh, do you have some other perspectives on how when, when folks are asking for feedback, how could they ask for it in a way so as to actually get it?
1: Sure. I, I think this is a super important question. I actually read a whole article on why people lie to you whenever you ask them questions. And, and they're lying because they're good people and they're trying to be nice. And they're trying to give you, and most people don't actually want the answers. You know, most of us, whenever we give a presentation, we walk out of the presentation and we turn to the person with us and we say, How was that? Right? Like that's the generic thing that people say. And then all of us lie when somebody says that to us. And we know that we lie when somebody asks us. But we still ask that question because we want them to lie to us. I mean, it's just like a terrible circular thing that happens. But we want to hear that you did amazing because we need that for our ego. And people know that. So they will lie to you unless you create a safe place for them to be honest. And you really have to tell people like several times that this is what you want. What you want is critical feedback. And even sometimes when you say it, they won't believe you, right? So number one, you need to create a safe place. You need to show them that you're very serious. So rather than saying, like, how did I do? Really be honest. Don't say that. Instead, you say, hey, I'm really trying to improve and grow how much I'm charging. I would love for you to give me three things I could do better. And then they're like, you know, it was awesome. I really enjoyed myself. I'm like, no, really, I really appreciate you saying that. That means a lot. But I'd love for you to dig deep I promise it won't hurt my feelings I promise I'm just trying to learn how to be better any three things that you can think of of how I could have done better or things that didn't really quite add up so you really got to go a couple of rounds with them number 1 number 2 you need to make sure you're asking the right people so I wouldn't play this game with my mom because she would be like I hate your outfit which is zero helpful to me right <laughs> you need to ask professional speakers you need to ask people who have created value in the the area in which you're trying to create value Right. So either your customers in your business or other people who have reached the peak of wherever it is that you're trying to go. Those are the people that whose advice that you want. And then number three, you want to make them feel like putting themselves at risk and being honest with you is worth it that you're actually gonna act on their advice. So when people give me advice, then I come back to them and say, Hey, you gave me excellent advice, and then I changed this as a result. So that when I come back to them for more advice, they know that I mean it.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yes. It's to think about it, not as sort of a a one and done, but but rather, oh, cool. Uh, You know, they feel helpful and like they got to make a positive impact and and they appreciate it because like, oh, it's like you've shown them uh, some honor or like, uh, it's like a compliment. Like, oh, you like, seriously, listen to me and take what I say seriously. Cool it gets them totally primed to do it awesomely, even better the next time.
1: It's just like any mentoring relationship in your life. You know, you need to make them understand that you value the advice and you're going to act on it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things.
1: I think curiosity is the secret to accomplishing anything. What I learned during the process, I, I kept being like, well, what else can I apply this process to? Like. Yeah, it works for planks and, and keeping companies in business. Like, what else can I do with it? And I, I found that you could do three things with it. Number one, you can use these four questions to significantly improve your relationship with your customers or any kind of relationship. Actually, it works for spouses as well. Like any relationship you want to improve, you can use these four questions. Number two, if there's a persistent problem in your business that you're trying to solve, this is a really good way to look at it in a, in a different way. Or, number three, if there's a big, hairy, audacious goal that you're trying to reach, these four questions are going to help you think about it in a completely different approach. So, those are really cases that I've found so far of using these questions.
0: Awesome. Well, now could you share with us a, a favorite quote, something that you find inspiring?
1: Yeah. So, one of my favorite quotes is uh, actually it has to do with curiosity and it's by Mark Twain. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Mm -hmm. And for so many of us, we walk around very comfortable thinking that we know all of these things to be true about our business and our customers. When we're just walking around, you know, I think about blind spots, like having food in your teeth. You like walk around very confidently with food in your teeth until you get to a mirror. And if you haven't been surprised and in a little bit of pain from feedback that you've gotten from customers or employees or your boss within the last 12 months, then I can guarantee that you have blind spots in whatever it is that you professionally do. So that's kind of my gut check. Like if somebody hasn't told me something painful and surprising, then there are blind spots in that are stopping me from growing to the next level.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research?
1: You know, I like uh, all those studies that show that you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most and how that works for your GPA and your income level and a lot of things in your life that they can measure in objective ways that it actually isn't just your personality or your treatment level. Like All of these things, uh, they're true about the, the people that you choose to surround yourself with. Oh,
0: thank you. And how about a favorite book?
1: Uh, the book that I have been recommending for so long is N- Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. I just saw it at the bookstore and it's been like reworked and remastered and it's got an extra 200 pages that I haven't seen. But the the reason I love that book is so much is because it's about creating real relationships with professional contacts as opposed to think business as a a, a networking or or a a tool, but really creating real meaningful relationships. And that book just always spoke to me and has been the secret to so many of the relationships that I've been able to uh, continue for, for so long.
0: Are you a conference commando? What does that, what does that mean? <laughs> that was one of the chapter titles. Uh, oh,
1: like how to do it? He was, yeah. he was
0: talking about like, this, this hardcore stuff like, well, it's here for the conference and you get a list of all the attendees in advance and you research all the That's attendees and cool. you invite a select segment of them. So,
1: no, I don't even bring business cards. So I'm obviously not a conference commando. <laughs> but I do look through the list and if there are any people that I really want to get to know on a deep level, then I'll find the, the people that I want to meet figure out who we have in common, reach out and say like, would you like to get a cup of coffee? So yes, I'm definitely still using stuff from that book. But again, it's not about how to meet as many people as possible, but how to really have create deep relationships with the people that you do meet.
0: And how about a favorite tool so that it helps you be awesome at your job?
1: Favorite tool, my iPhone.
0: Well, is there an app that uh, you love and you think is underrated because it's crazy useful? Headspace. Oh yeah.
1: I know it's not an underrated app, But it's an incredibly powerful tool for me personally. If I'm having like a crazy day, I just take ten minutes, and it works like magic.
0: Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite habit?
1: Well, besides collecting feedback, my favorite habit is to tell people that I'm doing awesome or fantastic, Hmm. which I am. That's how I feel. (laughs) (laughs) But people seem really, really surprised by it. Like it always takes people back. Like, oh, I haven't met anybody who's doing awesome or fantastic today. And that's just a, just a funny interaction that I get to have a couple of times a day.
0: That is fun. As as opposed to busy or fine. Thanks.
1: (laughs) No, I just, uh, you know, I feel fantastic. So that's what I say. And if people frequently are like, Oh, well, nice to talk to you. (laughs)
0: Well, no. cool. Yeah. <laughs> and how about a, a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect, resonate, uh, gets retweeted, et etc.?
1: If you never settle, then you will never peak. Which kind of the thesis behind this book and what I've been working on: that if you never settle for being good enough at what it is that you're doing, you're going to continue growing. If you're constantly curious of how to get to the next level. There's never going to be a time in your life where when you peak and get on a downward slope.
0: And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them?
1: I have a website, DianaCander.com, where you can read a lot of my articles, see videos of my talks and get bite-sized nuggets of all kinds of this information.
0: All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
1: Well, I would love for them to choose one big, hairy, audacious goal, and it doesn't have to be at work. What I found in doing the plank challenge and the handstand challenge is if I am curious in my personal life and doing something physical, then I will be more open in my professional life. And it's kind of, if if I put myself in a beginner mindset, not like a, I know what I'm doing, where I'm trying to learn at one of these tasks, then I will be much more open in my professional life and curious and creative. And so I try to constantly have a thing in my life where I'm totally out of my element and I'm trying to learn as possible because I find that it affects all of my work in a very positive way.
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Diana, this has been so much fun. Thank you for, for bringing the goods and a multitude of Amazon examples. That, that was a treat. <laughs> and, and please, I, keep doing what you're doing. And, and I wish you tons of luck with the Curiosity Muscle and your speaking and, and all you're up to.
1: Thank you so much, Pete. It's awesome to chat with you.
0: I just love how Diana brought it in terms of, of getting really real about what's up with Getting the feedback, discovering these blind spots. Theoretically, that sounds, oh yeah, that's a smart thing to do. In practice, it hurts and it takes some courage, some humility. And I just think that's, that's pretty powerful how she talked about her comedian friend, just really sticking it to her. Like you're walking apologetically. Are you breathing all wrong? You know, these sorts of observations and it hurts to hear, but once you know it, you can really run with it. And it kind of reminds me of when I discover that there's like a, a virus or malware on my computer from time to time it's happened. Or or some sort of extra, you know, process or application is running and taking up resources. You know, I used to get kind of upset like, oh, gross. Uh-oh, something's wrong. I got a problem. I got a computer. I got a headache. I got a thing I got to fix. Oh, I feel kind of dumb. I was supposed to be pretty good with technology, right? Podcaster. But lately, when I discover these things, I get excited because I'm like, oh, boy. We have just found something that once we address it, we're going to boost the the speed, the productivity, the efficiency of this machine. So so I consider those discoveries of of blind spots or, or yucky things perhaps embarrassing for the moment, but if you can really find the excitement... And enjoy an opportunity within them, then, then that's all the better. So sometimes easier said than done, but uh, a little bit of a reframe spin that I hope inspires you to, to dig in and go there instead of plodding along uh, with blind spots intact for decades. And again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript, the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob slash f three four eight. If you haven't already, I hope to push subscribe. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It is Dr. Richard Schuster. He is talking about helping how it helps you and them in terms of your, your mental health, your productivity, your well-being and all kinds of things that flow to making you extra awesome at your job each day. Peace.